0: Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, thank you for letting me be uh, with you today. Listen, I first got to just say I want to apologize if I sound like... Um to Australian, that's because I've lived there for 15 years. All right, so forgive me. Um, but, uh, you know, I've been there a long time, so I've learned a little bit of their lingo. So please forgive me. Uh, for those who don't know, I'm, uh, I was born in uh, Johannesburg so I come from the south of Johannesburg where the men are men and the women are also men um, that's where we come from and uh, uh, but my wife comes from this church my, my wife was born here and she grew up here and, and everything and uh, believe it or not my wife knows more about the Bible than I do and I'm the pastor of the church okay and uh, it's all testimony to the fact that she's got uh, she's uh, got beautiful parents who brought her up in the Lord. But my wife always tells me stories about sitting in these back rooms, yeah, with Sunday school to Sunday school teachers teaching her about God's word and 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 uh, going to the youth group and all that kind of stuff. So uh, so uh, thank you, Central Baptist, for for giving me a beautiful wife who knows God's word and who loves God and who, who serves God with me. And I don't know what I'd do without my wife. So thank you very much. If you're a Sunday school teacher or a youth leader or anything like that in the church, uh, thank you for giving to God every week on a regular basis. The other thing is that um, I didn't grow up in a Christian family. I grew up uh, um, in a Catholic family. My, My parents were hatch, match, and dispatch kind of people and would only go to church at weddings, funerals, and that kind of stuff. So I didn't grow up as a Christian. I was a non-Christian boy. Um, But uh, I came to know the Lord at a a youth, at at a school group. You won't believe it. I was at school one morning, and this girl comes up to me and says to me, would you like to come to a prayer meeting? I said, what the heck's a prayer meeting? So she took me to this prayer meeting, and then I found out about Jesus. And then they invited me to the local uh, youth group at the Baptist Church, it was called Rosettenville Baptist, and I went to that church, and I started going to the youth group, and it was great, And uh, but, but I didn't go to church, i just go to youth group, because my parents said, you can't go to a Protestant church, but you can go to the youth group, so I went to the youth group there, and uh, the youth group leader, he was a bit of a grumpy guy, his name was Charles, and... Uh, and uh, he, he, he kind of looked at me as like, geez, this is a kid that I can work on and help, you know? And uh, so Charles took me under his wing. Uh, there were some times, of course, that Charles regretted it. One time I stuck ice down his pants at a youth event. He didn't enjoy it. I don't know why. I thought it was quite funny. Uh, but he didn't enjoy it. He actually slapped me in the face. I think I could report him nowadays, you know, for doing that kind of thing. So... Youth leaders, please don't slap your thing. I wish I had a cool youth leader like Jabul. There that's a cool one. Where's jabu Where's Jabu? Is he hiding? Hey Jabu, I'm taking you back to Australia, man. I'm taking you back, brother. And uh, and uh, anyway, Charles and Charles had a girlfriend, a little blonde girl. She used to sing like an angel. She talked three times as much as Charles, and uh, her name was Carol. And they had a little Foxy beetle. You know those old Foxy beetles, and uh, they used to pick me up for youth group on a Friday night. Uh, Charles and Carol, and then they got married. And uh, uh, but Charles. Um, has been my pastor now for all those years and even though I live in Australia he still counsels me and tells me how to do things Uh, I went to Bible college and uh, uh, after I came out of Bible college I went down on holiday to visit Charles and Charles said to me listen I want to teach you how to preach I said to him, I've been to Bible college for four years. He says, I know, but I want to teach you how to preach. Anyway, he sat down and taught me how to preach. So if I make any mistakes today, it's Charles's fault, all right? <laughs> but uh, Charles has been, and this is what you've got to understand, that uh, serving Jesus Christ is long-term. It's not a short-term thing. So thank you, Charles, for that. And uh, thank you for not adding this to my sermon time, Charles. Uh, thank you for the invite. Uh, Why don't you turn with me in your... Hang on, let me just show you some pictures. You like photos, don't you guys? All right, I'll show you a picture. This is my family. So that's my daughter in the blue, my wife in the red, my oldest boy in the middle, and my my second. So uh, my daughter's 18, my son is 16, and then 14. So this is where we live. Here's a nice picture of where we live, Australia. We live on the East Coast, right sort of in the middle near a place called brisbane uh that's where we live yeah, zoom in there we go so we live on an island it's called Braby island and there's only one bridge that goes uh, across the island there it is zoom in there we go there you can see it you will see the shaded white areas banks here beaches where i live there you can see the little blue thing that's my house our church is in bongaree no go back one my church is in Bongari. It uh, takes me 12 minutes to get from my, uh, from my house to my church. And uh, there's only 20,000 people on the island, so it's not a lot of people. And I think we have four or five churches, and our church is a great little church. Um, yeah, this is my house. Yes, I have kangaroos on my lawn. So uh, when you come out in the morning, you've got to be careful because kangaroos, they like to box. Uh, So you've got to watch out for the kangaroos. Uh, Oh, there's another slide. That's my church. That's my church. It's not a big one like yours, but uh, we have three services on a Sunday, and we have a wonderful time. So that's my church. So uh, uh, look me up on Instagram or Facebook. I'd love to say hello and uh, greet you all. I think that's all my pictures today. Uh, Let me uh, pray uh, and then we'll get into the word. Lord, thank you for letting me be here this morning with all these beautiful people. Thank you for that beautiful sing-along yesterday and the joy of serving Jesus Christ. And we do pray that you'd open our eyes and our ears and our hearts this morning to your word in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you turn within your Bibles to the book of Philippians. And uh, Philippians is a book of joy. It's about joy. It's about living for joy. And uh, my sermon is entitled Fighting for Joy. Uh, I told uh, Pastor Charles about this about a month ago. I think I said, hey, I think Philippians is going to be a good passage for us. So uh, let's hope it's a good passage. Philippians chapter 2. And... um, We'll read it. But before I read it, uh, let me tell you there was an advert on the TV in Australia, and it said this It said, uh, We will fix your aircon and stop the fighting in your house for only $99. Now that advert got me going. $99. I wasn't really interested in the fic- keeping my house cool. It was the advert said $99 to stop the fighting in your house. That's what got me going. Because if I paid 99 bucks to stop the fighting with my teenagers in the house, I'll be shouting hallelujah. I would pay that tomorrow. I got three teenagers who always think that they did the dishes the day before and that the other one needs to do it or mow the lawn. You know what I mean? Now, my kids are intelligent, all right? They go to a good school. But when I tell them, hey, guys, can you do the dishes? They say to me, again, yes, you just did the dishes before. You know what I mean? I mean, how dumb can you be? Do you think they're going to wash themselves? And so if I pay 99 bucks for to have peace in my home, I'm a happy man. I'll pay it tomorrow. You see, the truth about it is that we all want harmonious relationships, both in, with our spouse both with our kids and our family harmonious relationships at work harmonious relationships in the church but the reality is we live in, the, in a broken world and we are broken people and our, our gravity to, is towards pride selfishness and me in fact the three of us Me, myself, and I, the most important people in the world. And so it's important for us to understand that we're living in a real world and that the Bible speaks to us in a real world in a real way and helps us to understand that we need some help. And so this passage before us tells us and is going to give us a little bit of a recipe how to do this. But let me tell you just a little bit about the church in philippi paul went there he led these people to Christ most of them were were gentiles they did, they weren't they didn't grow up in sunday school they didn't grow up reading Moses' laws they didn't grow up reading the old testament they didn't know much about god and yet paul loved them because they seemed to be a really good church he Paul says you bring me joy i mean that's a good thing when a church brings you joy isn't it Not all the churches were bringing Paul joy, but this one was. But the church starts off like this. The first three converts was a a sophisticated, wealthy businesswoman, a Roman military man, and a slave girl who'd been called into the occult. Now, isn't that a nice way to start a church with three crazy people like that? But isn't that the beauty of the church? is that we're made up of people who are unique, special, different. We speak different languages. We come from different parents, different upbringings. And God does something amazingly beautiful with the church of Jesus Christ. And so it's important for us to understand that. That yeah, we have a church that's young, that's learning about God, And Paul is encouraging them and he's writing to them and he's saying to them, keep on going guys. I love the way you're serving each other, but there were some problems. There was some pride and there was some fighting within. In fact, in chapter four, verses two, there's two ladies who won't even speak to each other. Can you believe it? Two people in the church that won't speak to each other. Now that might happen in South Africa, but it doesn't happen in Australia. I think. (laughs) The reality is it happens in every church. There's always conflict because we live in a sinful world. But Paul gives us a recipe this morning to be able to rid ourselves of that pride, of that selfishness, that which will destroy the church. So, Let's read from Philippians chapter two and let's find out the recipe that Paul wants to give us. Philippians chapter two, verses one, it says this. So therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but the interests of others. Have this in mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. And therefore... God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Just up to there. Now, let me just give you a little bit of context so that you understand what's happening here. Uh, Right in the beginning in verse 1, he says this one word, therefore, so in some other translations, that therefore points us to a fact that he said something before that we need to take note of in order order to understand this passage. Well, what was that Therefore. Well, that therefore was in verse chapter one, verse 27, which says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so what Paul is saying here, he's saying, guys, I want you to live honorable, good lives of integrity and glory to God. Good, Paul. Thank you for telling me that. Now, why is Paul saying that? Well, number one, is that he understands the principle that when we walk with lives that are glorious to God, we experience joy. The times that I've been unhappiest in my life was the times that I fell into sin. The times that I strayed from my Lord and my King. And so Paul's saying to them, if you want joyous lives, you need to live lives that bring honor to God. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up playing soccer, all right? And I love soccer. In fact, I still play soccer. I know it doesn't look like it, uh, but as my wife says to me, I was made for comfort, not speed. (laughs) But I love soccer. But have you ever played soccer without a ref? It's not nice. You gotta have somebody who's a ref to help you with the rules. When the rules, when the when it's ripped right you enjoy the game more the same in life when we follow and obey Christ Jesus and the rules that he's given us in his word we will have joy Paul says if you want joy you've got to live lives worthy of Christ the other thing is that you and I all know that sin is the one thing that drops us of joy So when we sin, what do we do? We hurt each other and we hurt ourselves. We get filled with guilt. We get filled with, you know what I mean? I was speaking to a guy the other day who's at my church and he's got a problem with drinking. I said to him, hey, buddy, you gotta come back to church. He said, I can't, Ray. I just feel too guilty. I said to him, mate, come and let God deal with that and turn away. But that's what sin does. It robs us of our joy. And Paul is saying to them, to the Philippian church, don't let your selfishness, your pride, and your conflicts with each other rob yourselves of joy and everybody else in the church. Don't let your conflict in your marriage rob you of the joy of marriage, the beauty of marriage, and everything. That's what he says. He wants us to understand that. So this morning, what I want to do is just give you three simple things to hang this on as we look through these verses. Verse five, he's going to give us an appeal. He's going to tell us something that's important. Then he's going to show us an example to follow. And then we'll look at the outcome of what he's shown us. Here we go. A strong appeal. Verse five, he says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. Have this mindset. Have this attitude, some versions say. Have this attitude, which was in Christ Jesus. What's the attitude? Simple. It was an attitude of humility. And so he says, you and I need to have the same mindset. set.'" A pastor named Gioboto Colazzo says this. He says there's a great difference between an impersonator and an imitator. Impersonators take great pains uh, to make people believe they are who they're not. On the other hand, imitators are clearly aware they strive to live up to the challenge of being a reflection of the person that they look up to. An imitator or an impersonator. Do you get it? Because I think we can impersonate being a child of God. But he wants us to imitate and how do you imitate? You imitate by having a mindset, an attitude of humility before Jesus Christ. Now, might I add just a little bit to help you understand this more about, uh, uh, in, in terms of a confession of mine. I got married at the age of 35, which is a little bit older than most people get married. And by that stage, I was very independent. I went where I wanted to go and did what I wanted to do and eat what I wanted to eat. Then I got married. And suddenly, I had to eat what I was told. (laughs) I was taught how to drive, how to dress, how my house should be ordered and I struggled with it. You see, I wanted to be married but I still wanted my single life and I think that can be true of Christians. I think people like the attitude of being a Christian, But give up my old life? No. So I won't give up my old life and I won't be sold out to Jesus. I'll just try to blend them all together. I realized in my marriage, if my marriage was going to work, that I would have to give up myself and surrender my thoughts, my ideas to my wife not because i had to but because i really wanted to i wanted my marriage to work that means i couldn't just do whatever i want whenever i and do carry on my independent life i had to change my mindset nobody knew this was happening because i was impersonating a good marriage But I learned that I had to imitate Christ in my life. Otherwise, my marriage would not succeed. And so Paul tells us we have to have this mindset. He says, I appeal to you. I exhort you. I encourage you. Have this mind amongst yourselves. Now, do you get it? It's not amongst you. It's amongst all of you. In other words, he's saying to the church, this is not just for you, this is for all of you. We all need to have the same mind. Every single one of us. Because if we do not have the same mind, the joy cannot be complete. You see, a good marriage is not when one person is happy, it's when husband and wife are both happy. That's when the marriage is complete. our joy is made complete when we all in the church have the same mindset same attitude of Jesus Christ now Paul I love what you're saying and that's good what would Jesus do kind of attitude I like that but I need something else so Paul says good I'm going to give you a great example to follow and we all need good examples to follow not so I mean, I used to holiday at some times at Charles's house and I had to uh, learn from Charles and I learned and he was a fantastic example to me of a man who loved his wife and loved his kids. And so I had a great example. I'd listen to his sermons. I would go to his Bible study groups. I saw how he ran a youth group. I learned from him. He was a great example, but he's just a man. And he's a flawed man. I need another example. And Paul says, yes, the example, guys. It's Jesus Christ. Look at verse 6. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. All of this talks about the fact is that we have to have the mindset of humility. But yeah, we have the greatest example of humility jesus christ himself all right let me flesh this out a little bit so that we can just get some meat on the subject when the first thing it says is that for though he was in the form of god the first thing he does is he recognizes who he really is the first my first problem was i needed to recognize that i was an independent man and i needed to change that and Jesus recognized just who he is. He's not just an ordinary person. He's God himself. He is the supreme being. He's the representation of God. But secondly, he has to see that he, he needs to renounce his, uh, his divinity and everything. And Jesus does that. And the same way I needed to re- re- uh, renunciate my, my attitude of being an independent man. Just doing whatever I want to. I couldn't do that anymore. I had to put that inside and say, okay, I am now a married man. Jesus does this. He walks away from his divinity. He renounces it and he becomes just like us right in the beginning in the garden when jesus was betrayed the soldiers came in on that dark night and the soldiers started crying out where is this jesus of nazareth where is this jesus of nazareth and they walked up and they said are you him do you remember what jesus said i am do you remember what happens next they all fell flat on their faces. Why? Because he's the divine God. That's why. Because he's the king of kings and the lord of lords. He humbles himself. He renounces his divinity. He says to them, here I am. Get up. Take me. And he goes off with them. And then it says this, that he, he makes of himself Nothing. In the old King James, it says this, he made of himself no reputation. In other words, he took away all his successes, who he was, all his accolades, all his successes, his role in his business, his company, whatever, he renounces all of that and he makes himself nothing. And he does this all voluntarily it says there that he makes himself a servant now in those days servants were a part of life and uh, there were different types of servants Um, I won't go into all of it but one, every seven years, these servants would be freed. In other words, they could move on. They could stop being servants, and they'd be free to, these uh, servants would be free to go and do whatever they want. But for many of these servants, they'd spend time with their masters, and they would learn to love their masters, and they could make a choice whether they stay on and serve these masters for the rest of their life. And so this passage uses that word servant, but it's really the word bondslave. slave. And so Jesus says he voluntarily takes on this word bondslave. slave. Now in those days, they had a funny ritual to kind of confirm this. What they would do is they would take the slave and they would stick his head up against a tree and take a nail and hit it through his ear into the tree. And everybody would know that that person has aligned themselves to this family for the rest of their lives. Okay? Now this makes it more powerful because Jesus is saying, I'm not just going to come and serve your house and clean it. I'm going to be your servant for the rest of the time, forever and ever, amen. Jesus is saying that he's not just making himself humble just for 10 minutes but he's humbling himself on a permanent basis to us to undeserving people do you see the power of that Jesus humbles himself he voluntarily comes and does this he willingly takes up the servitude to you and I it also says that he takes on human form now, for you and I, we understand the language that Jesus became a human for you and I, but I don't think we really understand what that means. So uh, when I was in missions, I had an experience. I went and visited a missionary family in the Camor Islands. Do you know where the Camor Islands are? Well, anyway, they're just off Africa. There's four little islands. One of them, I think, is French, and the other three are 99,9999% Muslim. Anyway, so I went there to visit the island and to encourage some of our workers that were there and now sometimes missionaries when they go to another place they don't live amongst the locals I'm not judging them but sometimes they don't they live in nice houses away from the locals anyway I decided that I would go and live with some of the locals I regretted it we went to this house no electricity and everything and they gave me a couch to sleep on now It was a two-seater, and I'm kind of like a three-seater couch man, you know what I mean? So I had to sleep on this couch. It was 38 degrees with 100% humidity, and no aircon and no fan, no electricity. I quickly regretted my decision. There were 1,140,000 mosquitoes in that room. I counted them. And after a long plane flight, I eventually fell asleep only to be woken up by the imam shouting and telling everybody to go and pray. I asked him please to keep quiet, but he didn't listen. I went, eventually went back to sleep. Well, I tried to sleep. With 1,540,000 mosquitoes, it's difficult. Anyway, I woke up to a noise of something running around the room. And so I got up and I put the candle on only to notice that inside my room there were over 30 rats running around on the walls. Okay? Let me put it this way. I loved getting home. Jesus comes in human form to live with us. Why would anybody do that? Why would anybody who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords come and live with ordinary people and experience ordinary stuff, in fact, terrible stuff? But that's Jesus' humility. That's the humility of the God that we serve, that he's prepared to become a human. And not only that, not only does he become a human, but he succumbs to the death of the people that he came to serve they kill him they take his life and so yeah we have church the most beautiful example of somebody showing us the humility that you and I should have in our minds he, he renounced his divinity, his place amongst the things. He got humiliated. He was spat upon. He was cursed. He became a bond slave. And he did this all to death. And he did it for all for you and I. And for the glory of his father. That's the example that Jesus Christ gives us. But. Look at the outcome. Verse 9. Look at the outcome. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, tongue, and confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. That he is Christ the Lord. And so that's the outcome. The outcome, church, is that uh, sometimes tough times is short-term and humbling ourselves is is short-term. But the advantage long-term is that not only will Christ be glorified in our unity as a church, in our unity as couples, in our unity as friends, but we will bring glory to others and the light of Christ will be shown through the community by our humility to Jesus Christ. Now, let me flesh this out just a little bit for you before I put you all to sleep. Here we go. The first thing it says is this, that he was highly exalted. That doesn't mean third place, second place. It means First place, highly exalted, right at the top, first prize. God was going to make him highly exalted above everything, above every other name that has ever existed. He is going to receive this crown of glory that he's going to receive the name. Now, you and I don't understand this language because we're not Jewish, but Jewish people would understand this much more than you and I. If somebody was exalted to this place, it means that they were a king. And so this is his coronation, that the example that he set before us in humility results in the coronation of a king. And his name would be glorified. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 2, the Tower of Babel is being built. And why are they building this tower? Well, they say, because we want to make a name for ourselves. Jesus wasn't interested in making a name for himself. He was interested in making... The name of God exalted. Jesus wasn't even interested in his own name being proclaimed. He was only interested in bringing glory to his father, the Lord, the God in heaven. And he says, I will make his name great. God says to Abraham, I will make your name great and I will make you great. Great. And Abraham is just an example to us, a shadow of the true Jesus Christ, the true Savior who comes, whose name will be great. The Jewish people must have been sitting, listening to this saying, he's talking about God. He's talking about God. Look again, not only is his coronation just for the Jewish people, but it's for the whole world. People from everywhere everywhere. All around the world, from earth's wide bounds, oceans to furthest coasts, stream through gates of pearl, the countless hosts, the psalmists tell us. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Everybody, not just those, not just Jewish people, but everybody will do what? They will bow the knee. Now, Jewish people knew this. You only bow the knee to who? To God. So many stories in the Old Testament where they said, I will not bow to anybody but to God. So when they say that every name will bow at the name of Jesus, what's he saying? That Jesus is God himself. They would have understood that. And finally, we see in this thing that he is not just interested in getting glory for himself himself. But look, in every tongue confess that Jesus is Christ, is Lord, to the glory of God. Not interested in self, not trying to impersonate, but to imitate, to bring glory to the one he's imitating. And so God says to us, this is what we need to do we need to see the example of Jesus Christ and see the outcome for you and I Jesus is filling this thing that says that we must serve him and humble ourselves and have this mindset of humility and we will bring glory to God aren't those verses beautiful I mean I love them about as such an example for you and I that no matter what we're going through, the conflicts, the problems, the challenges, that yeah, we have an example to follow. And the example to follow will help us understand that we will bring glory not to ourselves, but to God the Father. Let me end and say this. The Apostle Paul wants them to understand that this is going to bring them joy. But it's also going to rid the church of that which could destroy the church pride, selfishness, arguing, conflict, all those kind of things. Do you know how long it takes to build a house? Over a year. Do you know how long it takes to break down a house? One day. One day. That our pride, our selfishness, our I want my rights instead of what does God want? What does God need? Paul says if you want to understand truth, It's not about a pep talk. It's not about this is the five ways to have peace. He says, follow the example of Jesus Christ. Just humble yourselves. So I've got a group of Australians. We're on our way to visit some other Australian missionaries in Malawi. And we're going to go to the game park. And I don't know if you know this, but in the Kruger Park, there's a couple of beautiful statues of two bucks. Have you ever seen it? Two bucks and they locked in horns. And it's a statue of them. These two bucks were fighting and their horns were locked. You know what happened? They both died. Because there's no winners in a war, is there? No winners in a war. Nobody wins. Martin Luther tells the beautiful stories up in the mountains in Germany. You know those mountain goats that they got there? Anyway, they got all these mountain goats uh, in the mountains there, and he's watching them. Anyway, they stand on just like little pieces of rock like this. They're amazing, those goats, eh? Just walking in the mountain there. Anyway, there are these two goats. They're walking together on this ledge, and they get to the point where they can't go past each other. And Martin Luther's thinking one of them is going to die. One of them is going to die. He says what enfolded before him opened a whole word, a world of God's word to him. You know what happened? One of the goats went down on its knees and allowed the other goat to walk over him. They both live to tell the story. When we follow the example of Jesus Christ, the mindset of humility will bring glory to God, our Father. The, the goal of the Christian life is to bring glory to God, the Father, and serve Him. It's not a pep talk. It's an example to follow. My prayer is that you and I will have the mindset, the attitude of Jesus Christ, that we would lay down our rights, our desires, our wants, our goals, our ways before Him and say, God, have your way, that your name would be glorified, not mine. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your beautiful word to us this morning. Thank you for this beautiful example of Jesus Christ who who did everything for us, an undeserved people, a people who don't love him. May your word sit in our hearts. May you help us to bring glory to your name That many other people might know the beauty of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray this. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.